You know what it is. That's right. It's time to talk money with your money nerd and financial coach. Now, tighten those purse strings and open those ears. It's the Money Talk with Tiff podcast. Yeah, Twitter has some interesting. I think they give you like three or four choices. I was going to try what um, Anthony said, but I'm not near my roadcaster. The funny part is I've been waiting for the big glitches in the app with all that uh, employee shit, but hopefully that don't get us shut down. Well, don't speak it up. No. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I mean, the app still has been running pretty smooth from what I can see. So I think we're good. So how, how are y'all doing this good Monday? I'm doing pretty good. Just hooked up to the Rollcaster for you. So. <laughs> Go ahead and rub it in. Why don't you know? <laughs> I mean, I got you. You want some man horns to get you started? I mean, what you got? What you want? Some... <laughs> <laughs> what I'm talking about. Wow. <laughs> you are dedicated. That's to next level. <laughs> hey, let's make it happen. What's Gucci, y'all? Hey, Rakim, how are you? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. So we just upped our game by times 10 because Anthony's going to hit us with the sound effects tonight. Oh, oh I heard. I heard. <laughs> oh, no. Don't do that. <laughs> we got, uh, we got, what's his name? Funk Master Flex, DJ Envy, you know, all of old school New York DJs. <laughs> and uh, you got to have the Funk Master Flex sound. <laughs> that is hilarious. All right, cool beans. So we'll get started in a few minutes. We'll give people some time to get in. What are we chatting get... about today? We are, t- you can't wait. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> We're talking about online versus traditional banking. Does technology erase inherent bias? Mm. Hmm. Shout out to Marquio <laughs> for the topic. Yes, yes. Hey, y'all. <laughs> Speaking of, hey, Marquia. Hey, y'all. How you doing? How Girl, you doing? Drowning. Oh, no. If anybody told me being an adult would mean I'm like, I have no personal time to myself, I really would have asked my mother to take me out a long time ago when she threatened me. Oh. <laughs> no, ser- no, seriously. Like, I got caught in some loop over the last couple of days of a whole bunch of 20-year-olds saying... I hate work and I hate working a nine to five. I'm like, you only been working like two years. I want to do my passion. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, I that's love cool, my job. Don't wrong. I love my job. Like I, I literally am I'm living my dream job. However, comma. Like <laughs> however that I'm dad. not used to Carlton. I'm not used to working. <laughs> like I was retired. I didn't have no fucking boss. So oh I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't have no boss. So, like, to go from not reporting to somebody and just being able to, like, not do stuff I don't want to do to, like, now I do have a boss and I have to learn how to talk to people all over again and, like, navigate office politics. It's exciting because it's a whole new world for me. I feel like Aladdin, but, you know, it's still kind of, it's like a culture shock a little bit. So- sounds a bit tragic. Yeah. <laughs> 
the politics are very, very interesting. But, you know, navigate. <laughs> navigate. We could do a whole space on that, actually, huh. if we want to. Huh. Office politics. Add it to the list. Right. <laughs> Office politics for black people. Yeah. And how to navigate efficiently. <laughs> and then we all got to go listen to Raheem, Raheem's uh, podcast to heal from what we just went through. I, I should do a whole damn episode on that. All right, y'all, we're going to go ahead and get started because we're about six minutes in now. So this is Finn Noir, Space for Black Money Talk. My name is Tiffany Grant. I run the Money Talk with Tiff podcast and platform where we educate black and brown communities on financial wellness. Um, Rakim? And I am Rakim Sabri. I cover financial trauma and financial empowerment for people who look like me. I run Overcoming Financial Trauma podcast and newsletter and a bunch of other stuff. My name's Margalia. I am a TikToker parent and apparently teacher. I'm back homeschooling my kids, y'all. And I make personal finance content for Black people. Thank you, thank you. And Anthony? Uh, my name is Anthony, and I am the host of the About That Wallet podcast, where we help you build strong financial habits. Oh, the and what? I was to tell wow! The way you definitely should have went last. Theme music. I, I, I'm, I'm not to come. Anthony? I'm not to come oh. on the theme music the next time. You, you what? This is what we own. <laughs> hey, 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 hey! You know, you know, goddamn. <laughs> he sounded like he was a wellness spa just <laughs> waiting to invite you. Yeah, Anthony, I'm hating. No, <laughs> but for real, go ahead, Jonathan. <laughs> After that, yeah, guys, I'm I'm Jonathan. I'm not <laughs> Anthony, but I help I help people build wealth and use your bank as a partner. Catch uh, me on TikTok. I'm actually almost to a thousand on there too. Any support there would be helped. And um, Instagram at J Thomas Solution. That was funny. He was like, and I'm Jonathan. <laughs> There's nothing you can do after that. Like, you should have went last. He hurried up and put his views. I'm like, dog, I'm next. Like, <laughs> noted for next week. <laughs> Anthony's going to come on with the theme music. So he needs to go last. <laughs> But anyway, all right, so let's get into it. So um, if you didn't hear us before, the topic is online versus traditional banking. Does technology erase inherent bias? And that was brought up by Marquia. So Marquia, go ahead and start us off with this. Sure. So I suggested this topic back when I was still writing for Money Under 30, and I did an article on online versus traditional banking. And a lot of people don't understand that there is a difference in the two and that the reason why online banking has, has become so popular is because people incorrectly assume, well, in my opinion, that, you know, the, the bias is kind of left out when it comes to online banking. Um, they feel comfortable doing online banking because they don't have to pretend to be someone they're not when they go inside of a branch, right, and talk to somebody. Um, they don't have to look a certain way or make a certain amount to get helped. 
um, which is a common theme for people who actually go inside banks and credit unions and stuff like that. So um, I thought it was a really interesting conversation um, when, when I had it. And I really wanted to get you guys' opinion on it because as we all well know, being black, like that's just like an automatic disqualifier for certain financial situations. Um, and so for you personally, do you believe that um, online banking kind of loses some of the inherent bias in the financial system for you? Like, do you think you'll have a better experience online banking versus traditional banking? Um, in my personal opinion, I I believe that even with online banking, there is still some kind of bias. People made those systems and the systems that are used to make financial decisions. And unfortunately, people have these biases that they don't all they're not always conscious about. And I think that those those personal biases often embed themselves in their work. And so that's why things like FICO uh-huh, and, and things like that are still exclusionary to people who are born in certain situations. So I don't think that online banking um, erases that inherent bias that's in the financial system. Thank you, Markia. And before we, I see a hand right, Kim, but really quick, I just threw up a link to the Harvard implicit bias test. If you have not taken that, please go take that. Because as Markia said, there's biases that we don't even know exist in our brain just because this is how we have been programmed. Um, and so the implicit bias test actually puts those biases to the forefront. And they have all types of things um, from black, white, um, you know, gay, straight, like all the different um, things you can think about, fat, skinny, you know, we all have different biases. And that test is very, very eye opening. Um, really quick, really quick antidote. When I took it, and you know, y'all, I'm blackity black, 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 and I'm all about black. I love black people, black things, and all of that. And I was surprised by my results, <laughs> just to be real. So definitely take that. I pinned it up at the top. If you're listening on the podcast, just search implicit bias test and it'll come right up. That's how I just got the link, but it's implicit.harvard.edu. All right, Reckon. <laughs> Man, I'm mad you did that because I have like, Two more thoughts from what I was originally coming to say, but I'm going to stay on task. Um, Ten-year banking veteran here, um, Marquia, your question, do I think that um, the difference between traditional and online eliminates some of that bias? I agree with you. I think the answer is no. Um, and I have not personally used an online-only bank um, per se, but I have, and I want to just jump right into it, I have had um, individuals reach out to me when I was writing for publications to kind of expose this narrative around banking Black, specifically with the Greenwood um, Bank that um, Killer Mike champions and helped to co-find, I believe, because it is not technically a traditional bank. It's like a fintech company that uses, um, that brands itself as a bank and uses a third party company as an intermediary. And this individual was a black person who decided to open an account with this quote unquote bank and um, was really disappointed with the differences that existed from the traditional brick and mortar. Additionally, I would add that a big part of the banking experience outside of where you deposit and withdraw or transfer your money is the customer service piece. And so if we're looking at fintech companies um, or online only banks, 
there has to be a person on the other side of that phone or on, or the, on, on oh, I can't talk today, or on the other side of the screen when you're chatting that has to interact with you, that has to look at how you spend your money, how much money is in your accounts. And so when we talk about bias, I think it's important first to, um, to take the charge out of that word because I don't think bias in and of itself is a negative thing. But I think that when that bias is used to um, to, to negatively impact somebody else or the object of that bias, that's when it becomes problematic. And, um, you know, whoever is sitting on the other side of that computer, whether they be another black person or a white person or an Asian person, their bias is going to impact what the span of control they exercise when it comes to customer service. And so I just think about my experience um, in the in the branch as a manager, and, um, and and I'm not proud of this, but I think when I saw a black person coming into my particular branch, so I, I worked in a mass affluent, very white, very Jewish town. When I saw a black person come into uh, the bank, dressed a certain way, talking a certain way, with a check that... Um, kind of was like a little iffy, like maybe it was folded up and, you know, it looked a little crazy and they didn't have any accounts with us. I was programmed through the training to to give them the side eye and to kind of, um, and they, under the guise of quote unquote due diligence, be a little bit more um, vigilant in, in whether or not I was going to cash this check, um, what denominations or bills I was going to hand out to this customer. Um et cetera, et cetera, right? There's a whole, there's a whole thing around it. And so um, I don't think that that goes anywhere. And I think that, and you know, I, like Tiffany said, I'm very pro blackity black, black. Um, and in championing, especially today, content that is inclusive, specifically of the black experience. I think that um, when we look at the financial institution as a whole, that although black people are disproportionately impacted negatively through our history with these institutions, that is that it is the institution itself that has um, these biased, racist, white supremacist practices and ideals that impact us. And we're looking at it just through the lens of, oh, there's a white man on the other side or a white woman on the other side of this counter who has a bias against me. Mm. That's good. Um, and I'll get into a story after Jonathan and Anthony, but Jonathan. Yeah. Um, the short answer uh, kind of going on uh, where Kim's comments is, Hey, because online is mostly, I mean, 90% electronic, um, you don't really have as much. So I would say they're a little bit more biased because it's making inferences based off, um, what's what's been deemed to pose a risk now from a banking just uh operation standpoint uh i'll use myself as an example i realized that your banking relationship uh for me and as somebody like you reckon a decade plus in the financial services ran many banks and uh every place that you guys have probably uh visited the the central point was for like a Bank of America, Wells Fargo was cash or investments. The 
like an ally. It's still the same, but throughout all of them, they have different thresholds for um, what type of treatment you would be allowed um, as far as fee reversals, all that type of stuff based off how they deem your relationship. So it, uh, the best example I could think of was like I use ally for um, just the savings account because of that rate uh, and it, the emergency fund, that type of thing. And so I'll leave some cash over there. Uh, I never moved it. Uh, but when we bought a house, that was where we kept the money for the house. And typically something like a wire fee to I mean, that's a pretty standard thing in buying a house is you you wire the money out. That would be charged. I knew because of the amount of money I had sitting there that I could not get that fee charged. The same thing could be said if I was at Bank of America. Because of what I have there, fees don't necessarily apply to me, even if it does happen for whatever reason. In the credit union, like uh, Rakim was saying, uh, when you come in with a check, yeah, there are a lot of things you can do, but a person is more, especially in the credit union, they're more definitely looking at how often are you coming here and how many uh, how many times have I seen you experienced here? Meaning, if they don't come often and then they're handing you a check to a bank that mm, looks a little funny, yeah, I'm not going to give you the benefit of doubt. But if I'm seeing you every other week and yeah, your checks come from all over, I'm more likely to give you that ready-made funds today. You're not going to get that same treatment in uh online bank because typically you're probably going to do some sort of mobile deposit and all mobile deposits by law have standard hold procedures. Yeah, could they release it? Yeah, they could, but that's inherently going to put them more at risk. Truth be told, it's the same thing with lending. I wouldn't particularly buy, get something online from a bank I couldn't go into if I was struggling, trying to get credit, all those type of things from an online bank because there's no way someone can really determine if you would be a valid, more qualified person, even if you're not as strong on paper. Because when you're there, you can kind of, especially, and I use the credit union because there's a lot more um, kind of ambiguity in how they're doing their lending. But a lot of that is what did you, what were you able to ascertain from this person that is not on their credit report or is not showing up in their income? Well, Jonathan, real quick, I, um, sorry to jump in front of everybody else, but I just feel like you're, I don't know, it sounds like a rebuttal, and so I could be wrong, but the direction that I was going with my statement was more around, you know, what we're talking about as far as implicit bias and, you know, the way that a particular demographic and that demographic being Black people could be profiled and treated in, you know, the online versus the traditional environment. The direction it sounds like you're going, and I think that it's valuable for people who are not um, in or from the banking industry, but sounds like you're talking about like the operational processes of the bank that kind of voids the experience of individuals, um, whether they be black or white, and just kind of talks about, well, if you have money of this amount, um, or if you have a frequency or a relationship with the bank of this kind. But I think that I think that's disingenuous in a way because it's erasing the very real experience of 
people who do experience a bias, black people specifically who experience bias. Um, we know that if if the if the playing field was equal for everybody and everybody came in with the same amount of money or the same amount, same relationship, same frequency, whatever, that in a perfect world, kumbaya, like, yeah, everybody would be treated equally. But that's not the case. And so, you know, I don't I don't want us to get lost in bank operations and um, and bank standards versus to, to erase or minimize the experience of bias, particularly of black people working um, or rather trying to establish relationships with, with these institutions. No, um, I was just more pointing out the differences. Yeah, I was speaking in just operation as somebody who's ran the bank. It's, I mean, I've experienced it even without the money. You know what I mean? I can go somewhere. Somebody's going to treat me a certain way just because they think I don't have it. I don't walk in suited up, all that type of stuff to imply I have money. It's not until they see what I have till their tone may change. I'm not necessarily disagreeing with that because I go places cash a check that I have do no business with and I can I can see how they're looking at me and what questions they're asking it's only because I've been in this the system and I understand the training of those that I already know what questions they're trying to ask what they're trying to get answered and why why they're trying to do it with me I already know that because I know again I've had to train these people I've had to lead these people I know what that looks like I was just more pointing out the uh, differences because as I heard the question was from uh, online, the fact is you're not speak you're not seeing anybody, period. And whether or not you can be a valid qualified candidate, that will never come through. And at least if you're in person, you have a little bit more of an opportunity of having a, a chance, depending on, yeah, where you go to do your banking, if you're doing it in your, like you said, if, if I'm from the hood and I try to go walk into an affluent area, into a branch, I should be treated there. I should be treated the same, but I will be likely treated differently versus if I went to that same institution, but just was in the hood where I'm from. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, Anthony, I know you had your hand raised. Did you still want to speak? Or... Yes. Um, so one of the things that, if I'm understanding the question correctly, it's from the difference in understanding the biases between online versus, not versus, but banking is different in person than it is online. And I think that um, having that online presence did one of the best things that I could say in, in our lifetime is um, allowing that access and opportunity for the Black and African American community to actually invest inside those banks for one because most of the time people are afraid of banks especially our older generation where the point they'll just tell you hey just go to the check cashing place down around the corner that's what we used to do and I used to do that too because that's all I knew but it wasn't until I actually took the time to actually understand like oh I can actually do this on my own and on a computer and actually can you know do this remotely it was a lot easier. It was less daunting for me to go inside the bank and didn't feel like I was being profiled the whole time. And I'm glad that Jonathan was able to uh, iron out the differences of what it, the training looks like, because I didn't know that. 
Um, from the banking side of the house, I didn't know because I've never been inside the banking industry or did on that opposite side. But it's good to understand the differences. But for me, I always felt weird going inside of a bank because usually they're the ones that get robbed that you hear about on TV. So, and I wonder, my other question, that now I'm thinking about it, is that are banks being robbed less because they're being online? Um, and like physically robbed, not like digitally robbed and so forth. But um, but that's a whole nother topic. But to get back to as far as being racially profiled or the experience of being a black person investing into a bank, I have to say that it's a lot easier now to do that uh, virtually than it does to actually worry about dealing with it physically. And now it's to the point I'm actually teaching my mom how to do things virtually because she still writes checks and I'm like no you, you can stop writing checks now so that's where I'm at uh, but we're getting there we're getting there thank you all right thank you and I just wanted to bring up a point that I just thought about and you all can kind of mull over before I go to um and that is okay if we're looking at online banking right usually they have better rates you know that type of thing what about people that don't have access to online banking just something to think about. All right, um, go ahead. Yeah, no, this is a, this is a great uh, dialogue. So first and foremost, thank you for having me. Um, I think this is my first time at this forum. And uh, uh, Tiff, I only know you from Twitter. So just going by your Twitter handle of, of Tiff, if, if there's another way to refer to you, please, uh, please educate me on that. But I think you know, all of you are bringing up some excellent points around um, systemic bias, right? And I think some of it is very, very foundational, right? And if you kind of apply first principles thinking to what, <laughs> you know, what money is at its very core, it's a social contract, uh, you know, there is no intrinsic value to coins and currency except for that, you know. Uh-oh, something happened. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, did you, uh, I may have been accidentally on mute. Did you catch a little bit of that? What I was saying is some of the bias, you know, that I think we're talking about here is systemic and it's foundational. And it stems from you know, the very definition of money as a social construct. It doesn't have any intrinsic value and its value has historically been you know, uh, put into effect by central banks. And so no doubt that you know, the, the bias that, you know, and you know, various forms of isms um, that we've seen for centuries are ingrained within a lot of the practices. Um, a lot of what you touched on also has to do with how risk is managed. And I think that's where, you know, I, th I think a lot of the bias has been further institutionalized because, again, you know, the fundamental premise of credit is... Uh, is you know some people will be declined versus versus others. So it's it's uh, uh, there's actually a very interesting study that was just published around by the Federal Reserve. Uh, I mean I guess the, 
some people from the Federal Reserve are co-authors of it that talks about the asymmetry in distribution of credit card rewards, how that gets, how the rewards are reaped by people that have high credit score uh, versus otherwise. And if you now map that credit score back to uh, various demographic classifications, including, you know, race. Of course, it disproportionately has an adverse impact on, you know, black and brown communities uh, and and women, uh, unfortunately. And so, um, so look, I mean, you know, I, I I can stay here all day and all night talking about one of the reasons that I you know, officially, you know, I guess uh, had to throw in the towel and move into the fintech world, um, you know, with the with the premise that we would create, you know, a fairer system. Um, and uh, yeah, so I mean, you know, pause there. If, if people want to react to that and or have any questions, happy to answer those. Yeah, thank you. Um, um, I do have a question really quick, because you said you're in the fintech space. Have you found that the regulations and stuff have hindered any of the progress that you are trying to make with making sure that your platform is, um, you know, a level playing field? Because I'm not too familiar with that side of things, but I feel like there might be regulations and stuff that might hurt, too. Yeah, so I mean, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think if you look at, you know, the kind of people that um, are involved in fintech, and even, you know, the the lightning rod that is the blockchain, I think they tend to be, you know, more, more diverse to your specific point on regulation. I mean, of course, you know, a regulation is never a leading indicator. It you know, it evolves and co-evolves with the innovations that uh, that come forth, and so you know, so so I think um, anything new, you know, fundamentally will always have its uh, critics uh, because uh, hey, you know, even for our platform, Save Away, um, you know, the, it has clearly no. <laughs> No brand recognition reinforced with uh, millions of dollars of ad and brand spending that a large bank or a decent sized bank can can have. So, so I think um, so, so. I think you know there's always a challenge with anything new, but I think the intention of the people uh, that I think are moving to that space, uh, you know, are often um, you know. Um, somewhat similar to that of mine that, uh, you know, who have maybe have had a banking career, um, see the, you know, see the warts and see the systemic injustices and, uh, you know, and, and see that, uh, you know, a fundamental rethink is really necessary to, you know, bring bring justice back to the system. And, you know, it's never easy, right? Um, you know, I think uh, uh, adoption is uh, clearly an important consideration. And as new things get adopted, there will always be, you know, anomalies to it. 
Uh, and, you know, I think, um, so, so, this is, so there is a lot of good stuff that's happening, uh, you know, in, in FinTech and, you know, uh, lots of amazing projects. You know, I don't want to make this an advertorial about what we're doing at SaveAway, but feel free to take a, take a look. Um, um, so, I mean, I think that, you know, the good intentions around creating a fairer and more financially inclusive system is definitely there. Um, I think where, you know, Tiff, to your point, uh, the fault lines may appear in that is, for example, what you see with companies like Robinhood, uh, for example, you know, that, that uh, you know, uh, risk, uh, you know, the sort of growth at any costs, right? I think that is a clear risk. And I think the other risk and the other bias that I see, and a part of this stems from venture capital and how financial technology or fintech is getting funded. And I've seen that firsthand, you know, raising capital for my own venture, which is has to do with more, uh, you know, day-to-day saving that a lot of people, and again, disproportionately black and brown people don't have, you know, is, is there's a bias towards innovations that are all about investing, right? That are, that are all about wealth. And so that begs the question, what happens to, you know, the, you know, the much greater majority of people that don't have any of it? Uh, how, do, how, how do they find a path to prosperity? So anyhow, I'll stop the rant there. And don't know whether that addresses your question, Tiff, uh, even if not directly, maybe indirectly. Yeah, thank you so much. All right, Marquia. So, um, and I forgot who it was because I had walked away from my phone, but I know I heard somebody bring up like Greenwood and stuff like that. <laughs> but I do have a question. So, you know, with us, and by us, I mean Black people. With us kind of coming into our own and realizing that we no longer want seats at the table and we're creating our own spaces. And with the rise of Black-owned this and, and Black-owned that, with these Black-owned credit unions that are popping up everywhere um, and, and these alternative banking solutions that um, our community are creating, do we feel as though, um, do we feel that inherent bias as much in our communities that we're creating for ourselves, is this something that we don't think we could weed out even if we have our own spaces? Um, or is this something that we could overcome? Obviously not right now, right? But this is something that maybe we could kind of carve out for ourselves and run ourselves. And if you do believe that, what do you think um, would need to happen in order for that to be a successful option for us? Thank you, Marquia. And you know, I know why I brought up that regulation question too, because like, even if we do build our own or what have you, we still have regulations that come from a federal level. So I'm, I mean, I, I've never done research on it. I think that's something I'm gonna do. Um, but, you know, that's just something to think about to your point, you know, if we do build our own and all of that, can we still erase biases, even under a system that was made with biases, um, you know, from the beginning. But anywho, uh, Jonathan? 
Yeah. Um. Well, first, Marquia's question is: I don't think um, the challenge. We talked about this. I think in a, in a couple couple of platforms a couple of weeks back. Uh, and my biggest argument was number one having a having a viable institution that could compete in you know with the or be able to compete product services all those type of things um, with what we have already in the marketplace. The second thing is um, I think about it a lot. Um, I think about it. I know the landscape uh, kind of like oh, I think the gentleman left or OM was talking about. Uh, with blockchain, I I had the opportunity to sit down with a fintech firm and understand how they're lending and uh, the the ideal the piece about blockchain that is enticing, at least to me, is because it does remove kind of the middleman technology. I'm sorry, middleman piece, which is the bank, from even peer to peer lending. Like there are platforms right now where you can actually uh, lend your money for others. They can, and you can have your own terms, however you want, whatever interest rate you can determine it based off their credit profile or just your particular preferences. Uh, but more of that activity going in rather than you trying to get money from a source, but you got to go through the bank to get it. Uh, in terms of uh, African American institution, my only concern is I like the fact of more African-Americans in a more African-American institution, just because when you talk about the risk aspect, what I see as risk as a if person who experienced Black, um, growing up Black, growing up from the hood, all that type of things from another Black person, I may not see it as risk versus somebody kind of like the whole um, cop example. If you have African-American cops in an African-American community, they may be less risky or there may be less crime than if you put a white Latino uh, Asian in that same community, just because those people can identify with what's going on. And for them, it's not necessarily a danger, but it's a way to, oh, hey, you guys need to do it this way. Or a lot of those problems probably could be educated or uh, communicated out. Uh, the same thing I think could happen in the banking space. The only thing about the banking space is because like you mentioned, uh, Tiff, with how the laws are, you it's very, very strict when lending and when speaking about what you can do as a lender and what you cannot decline. So if we know inherently somebody is going to do something they qualify for, by law, I have to give it to them, even though it may hurt them financially. I can tell them, but I have to be very, very particular on how I tell them because at, that in itself could be discrimination based on how the law is written. Mm, mm, okay. That brings up, <laughs> I have so many more questions now, but um, I think Anthony was next. Or maybe Rakim? Uh, I think I was next, but if Anthony wants to go, I'll let him go. No, you can go ahead, Sarah. Um, so Marquia's question, I think, um, first of all, I think it's a powerful question because there's so many layers there, right? When we're looking at how we model, um, behaviors, particularly economic behaviors through these banking systems. And so, 
my initial kind of like unfiltered reaction is no. Like it's it's not going to be a difference. We're going to do the same thing because we still have to participate in, you know, this capitalist system and to Jonathan's point, um if we do establish um like a bank, then we are kind of beholden to the regulations and et cetera that that dictate what that governing body looks like. So I think, you know, thinking deeper rather into the question, it would be an exercise of, I think, a combination of imagination, an extreme imagination, um, getting everybody on the same page and looking into maybe what cultural practices we had prior to, um, you know, this dominant economic system and, and pulling from that to determine how it is that we would want to circulate and establish wealth for ourselves um, outside of what that system looks like. Or at the very least, what are the tweaks that we can make um, on a surface level that make this process more our own? And so I always make reference to this book um, when we get into talking about like the socialization of black people and the interactions between black people, um, you know, from whatever in whatever institution we're looking at, and it's you know the miseducation of the Negro. I think that that should be required uh, reading because there's the issue of not feeling like something for us by us is good enough or is as good as the Bank of America's, the Chases, et cetera. And then there's the issue of being socialized to emulate those systems and those processes in our own behaviors. And so I think what could happen, what likely would happen if there wasn't those variables that I mentioned, the imagination, the pulling from cultural references, the getting everybody on the same page, is that we would just create a carbon copy of what already exists in blackface. And so in a, in a lot of ways that does more harm than good because now we're perpetuating the system of white supremacy and, and capitalism onto black people from black people under the guise of helping black people, if that makes any sense. Hmm. Yeah, it does. Um, it has me thinking, <laughs> thinking a little deep and real quick. Yeah. Oh, go ahead, Jonathan. Well, uh, it was that was kind of where I was at least attempting to go, Rakim, because that was something I had just did a piece earlier this week about like the peer to peer lending. I'm like, hey, I know we always talk about building wealth for our kids and passing down that generational wealth and um, uh, what are you talk about, uh, having trust wills, all that type of stuff. Um, but also the fact of what if our wealth, uh, what if our ability to have wealth puts us in a position where, hey, my kid, I have the wealth, but my kid still wants to, he doesn't necessarily want to um, take my money. Hey, I can lend it to you, but at least I can lend it to you under terms that I agree to and I control what those terms are versus you're getting your money from a bank, uh, you know, saying the institution. And they'll just come rip you out the house if you don't pay. 
Gotcha. And I just wanted to really click reset the room because it's a lot of new faces and I don't want them lost on what we're talking about. So up at the top, you can see a pin tweet from Marquia and we're talking about online versus traditional banking. Does technology erase inherent bias? Um, and so if you have any comments, questions, anything you want to add, feel free to request speaker privileges and we will get you up here. All right, Anthony. Yeah, um, I actually done lost my thought because <laughs> I'm so lost in the conversation because it's it's interesting of understanding like having all these black institutions does it really impact the way how we're going to operate? Um, one, yes, it's a possibility, but two, if you're trying to erase generations of generations of the way how the market was actually trained, taught, and operated we're going to still run into those same problems. Um, I mean, it happens. There are examples in multiple different extremes. Um, you can pick one out of the, out of a hat and you can get something, but the matter of the fact is that at least we tried. Um, and so that's one of the things that I have to say that, you know, giving up is the point of it all. It's just really giving up. You're retiring that particular idea. So I think by us keeping this conversation alive and really taking a deep dive into a different approach into how can we move forward as a unit, as a team, um, and as a people, uh, regardless of uh, the stigmatisms around the teachings that we were brought up in, to actually now let's take it into our understanding, like, hey, we can actually read things on our own. We have our own thought processes. Yes, we can do our own research on how the previous generation did it, so let's go ahead on and start looking forward um, on how we can actually move the narrative instead of just dwindling in, in the past. Um, so, you know, do you go out and support or invest in these uh, black institutions that are coming up or do you just kind of ignore them? Me personally, I'm taking a shot and I've been banking with a black bank for over two years now. And they got their hiccups, they got their issues, but I'm trying my best to lean in with them. I do call them if I have some issues, but they've been willing and able to make those changes that I need to, to get the funding that I needed. So, um, yeah, so when you bank with me or buy anything from my shop, it goes directly to a black bank before it goes to any other bank. So that's the way how I operate. Um, and I try to make sure to spend more money. I know Marquio said I was the biggest consumer, but I try to make sure it goes back into another uh, black person's pocket before I even go to another institution. So that's my piece on that one. But I, I just think that we all have a place in this society uh, to play. It's just depending on if we willing to lean into it and take it to that next level. I feel, I feel you. Um, um, you have requested speaker. So I think to go again. Well, no, no, I, th I think this is, you know, really inspiring dialogue. So I'm very thankful to be a part of it. And I think this is, you know, also really how what change look, uh, looks like. Uh, so absolutely, I think having, you know, banks that are founded by, you know, uh, a management committee and a senior leadership that is entirely black and that is causing the deposits and the lending 
which is really, you know, in part what a bank does, you know, making sure that it is uh, you know, happening within the community is one of the equalizing forces. And one of the things to keep in mind here is that, you know, since you brought up regulation, you have to understand that the banking system is a highly consolidated, uh, you know, a market structure. And by that, I mean, right, if you look at uh, let's say deposit market share, the large banks between themselves and the large banks being defined by, you know, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, uh, Chase, City, in, you know, between themselves have, uh, uh, have about 60, 70% of uh, market share. And, you know, and if you look at other credit instruments, um, since I know we were talking about lending, credit cards, for example, the same thing. Uh, so I think uh, the reason why I bring it up is, you know, regulation is, even though it may, you know, the, the, the principle around it is justice, uh, you know, it is subject to high levels of lobbying by these extremely powerful giant organizations that control trillions of dollars of deposits and loans. And, you know, I have, uh, you know, very firsthand experience of this, everything from, you know, uh, EEOC case, uh, you know, within a bank where, you know, someone was being, you know, denied a promotion uh, on grounds that made, didn't make sense. And, you know, and, and the, the, the best wisdom received from a person of color in the senior leadership team was it would be almost futile to bring an EEOC case because, you know, when it goes to court, that's highly controlled and lobbied, uh, uh, you know, by, you know, these banks that have a lot of lo uh, lobbying abilities. So, um, so that's, you know, part of what I think you ha have to keep in mind is that, you know, change happens small and things that were, you know, once small, uh, you know, when, when we cultivate them become, you know, become, you know, become a force of nature. And, uh, but yeah, it, it is really, you know, fighting against the, against the beast. And I think, uh, you know, uh, I'll just pause there um, and hope that uh, sheds a little bit of context there. Yes, thank you. All right, and Jay? Good evening, everyone. I'm Jay Stevens of My Wealth Journey LLC. Um, and I always love this space. I wanted to chime in to provide a little perspective um, on the topic. I do think that there's inherent bias that can be eliminated by using technology. Um, but I also wanted to present the counter argument that the people that develop that technology they have their biases. And so as much as we like to use algorithms and we like to use um, AI that help us do things, as much as our group loves to talk about Jasper, there is still the limitation that if you have a programmer who has some type of bias, whether it's racism, sexism, any of that, in what they are and who they are, as they write that code, it shows up. And there have been studies done that show just because they're trying to develop a system that levels the playing field, if they are writing the code that builds in that or that includes that bias in there, 
you still kind of have to in some way overcome that. And it's not to say throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like I'm not saying we should not use other technology and we shouldn't consider these platforms, but it's just the, like the balance of it all. Um, and all the more reason why we need more diverse coders and all of us in STEM in some way helping out with this area. And Marquia, shout out to you for a really great topic this evening. That's it. Thank you. You brought up some really good points. So I'm glad that you did bring that up. Um, did anybody else want to chat about this topic before we wrap up? It's coming up on 10 o'clock. And while you all are thinking, since Jay brought up uh, Jasper, I'm gonna go ahead and throw my affiliate code up there. So if y'all check it out, please please support your creator. Um, <laughs> so anyway, um, anybody else want to chat about this topic? Um, while you all are thinking about that, I'll go ahead and give my story that I was going to give early on in the conversation. And that is, I had spoke to a guy that worked in the banking industry. And he told me he was like, one time, well, probably a few times, but he told me about a specific incident, incident where he looked over a person's application and stuff. And this was before online banking really got popping. So this was like in person. Um, he looked over a person's stuff. Their application looked really good. He sent it to his manager um, to get the final approval. And the manager denied it, even though he should have gotten approved. And what he realized and why he left the banking industry was that, you know, in the break rooms and stuff, they were on okay is this person a, a person of color based on their application like so they were like <laughs> really trying to figure out if these people based on how they spent their money what they spent it on how they save you know all that type of stuff they were trying they were making bets in the break room on whether these people were of color or not so I thought that that was very interesting and eye-opening for me that's never been in the banking industry um so that just ties into our topic of the inheritances you know even whether it's in person or online like I think it was Jonathan or Marquis or somebody said there's still somebody on the other side or might have been Rakim. There's still somebody on the other side of that. And so, you know, just to think about, leave you with some thoughts if nobody else wants to go on, you know, your implicit biases, your inherent biases, making sure that you're aware of those, um, you know, in just your everyday life. Because these people, they were just at work thinking it was normal, like, you know, they having fun or <laughs> what have you. But not realizing that this affects somebody's life and livelihood. And I see um, you do have your hand up. Mo mm. Molly. Molly. Yes. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> What's going on, everyone? I know it's been a while. <laughs> Molly Bodie with Financially Present. Uh, thanks for the conversation. And there's a, there were a lot of things that were talked or uh, touched on. And when I think about the traditional banking versus uh, the digital age we live in, it is an uphill battle because um, when I think of when I was uh, a licensed stockbroker, there were times when people would open up an account and um, you wouldn't be able to, actually they would start the application, but you couldn't finish it. And you would have to print out a letter and give it to them. And really what it meant was uh, their, their credit score was below a certain amount. So it was a standard protocol. You give them the letter and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not able to open up an account. You just call the number there. 
And then I also think back to the neighborhoods that they put these branches in, these brokerage offices in. They understand IXI data. They look at zip codes. We all know about redlining. There is a reason why these institutions are in certain places. And they, like uh, Om mentioned, they, they are heavily entrenched in the culture and the fiber of this country. And uh, in order for us to, you know, uh, bank with uh, people that look like us and, and put, park our money there, we have to do a couple of things. And we have to step aside from the cultural norms that we've been coached into. We also have to um, set aside our own biases, you know, based on white, white supremacy. But then also we have to manage our own risk and say, hey, well, how much of, you know, my, my money am I going to put with that bank? I just want to test them out. You, you know, you want to dip your toe in because there are people that, you know, I'm, whatever color anyone is, there are scammers out there. So, and I know for me, I, I proceed with caution um, and, I, and I'm going to assess the risk by finding a way to diversify where I put my funds. And, and this is not to knock anybody's business at any point, but it's like there are several layers um, of difficulty when it comes to, to uh, breaking these barriers. And it doesn't mean that it's impossible. It just means that it is, it is a lot of work. And sometimes <laughs> your knee jerk reaction is like, no, but then you know, once you, you look at certain things and maybe you, you know, maybe attain a certain risk level, you can say, okay, yeah, I can start banking with this, this newer bank that, I, that I'm not familiar with. Or yeah, maybe I will bank with an online bank that I'll probably never ever see, but they'll you know, manage my money because they are under these, these regulations and under FDIC insurance and so-and-so. And, so. and uh, there, there is a lot to, to digest with all of that, but all of that to say is it's, it, it's, it's an uphill battle. It doesn't mean that it, it can't happen, but it does require a big culture shift uh, and a lot of change management, I would say, for every household, basically. And the, the idea of uh, FinTech being added along adds a different layer of um, uh, urgency. It, it's not like we can kind of wait for this to, to happen culturally. It almost needs to be more aggressive in the sense that, hey, it's a race against the clock. Well, we know blockchain can re replace a lot of banks. Um, but uh, I say all that to just try and touch multiple points. And uh, thank you guys for the conversation. Yes, thank you so much for that. You brought up some really good points to where I'm thinking we might have to do a banking part two, because uh, there's some other things that I definitely want to hit on based on what you said uh, just now. So stay tuned, y'all. We might do a banking part two. Uh, but thank you all so much for coming on tonight. We are at the end of the hour. So we appreciate you all coming. This is Finn Noir a space for Black Money Talk. Uh, we do this every Monday night at 9 p.m. It's just a place where we can talk about different topics as it relates to Black people and money. So thank you all for coming. Please make sure you follow our speakers up here um, at the top. And I'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening, joining, and being a part of the Money Talk with Tiff podcast this week. You can check Tiff out every Thursday for a new Money Talk podcast. But if you just can't wait until next week, you can listen to previous podcast episodes at moneytalkwitht.com or follow Tiff on all social media platforms at Money Talk with T. 
Until next time, spend wise by spending less than you make. A word to the money wise is always sufficient. <laughs>